Hello, this is Aaron Eckhart, and you are listening to Center Stage with Mark Gordon, the beautiful one and only Mark Gordon. Center Stage, Center Stage, Center, Center, Center Stage. Center Stage. Welcome to Center Stage. My name is Mark Gordon. On this show, we're going to talk with feminist pornographer, certified sex educator, and body-based performance artist, Madison Young. Her current project, Submission Possible, explores the queer sexual underground worlds of kink, fetish, and BDSM. Where did the idea come up to do Submission Possible? Over the years, I've been on quite a few different docu-series that explore sexuality. And I feel like most of the... I'd say that all of the shows, actually, that I've been on have somewhat of a feel of being othered. The host is often new at something and exploring something and might find the fetish or kink to be odd. They're not someone within the community. And it's also not coming from a, often not coming from a uh, feminist lens or uh, from a submissive lens. So uh, that's my point of view is as a queer feminist and within the community. So I was really interested in creating a show that, you know, someone who's been in the community for two decades that understands and loves kink and that is able to go to cities around the world and connect with these different communities. We're sharing what is unique in our perspective of kink within these different cities, within these different communities around the globe. Working on Submission Possible is, is really, you know, goes back to representation and destigmatizing sex. So often in shows that address kink, kink and BDSM are sensationalized. This is about like not sensationalizing it. Instead, we're normalizing it. We're making space to have these really open conversations about kink and BDSM and it not just being about watching something that looks really bizarre, but instead, what is the why behind that? And what's going on internally for you and emotionally for you and psychologically for you? And how does this relate to our community? Those are the things that are super fascinating to me that we'll be exploring a lot in this series. The first episode takes place in New Orleans. Before you had gone on this journey to, uh, to film Submission, had you been to New Orleans before? And did you kind of have a sense of the culture there? And if not, what did you learn about that experience? You know, it's really interesting because with all my travels, I hadn't been to New Orleans before. It was my, my first time. So that was super interesting because I was attempting to sort out 
<laughs> what the community might be like and what the theme of the show might be before traveling there so that I could book some of the guests. So I uh, talked to quite a few of my friends who have lived in New Orleans um, or have spent a, a good deal of time there to get a sense of the city and of some potential topics to explore, as well as getting some referrals of different awesome guests that we ended up connecting with. It was a completely, totally new experience for me down there. And I loved it. I mean, I love New Orleans. I definitely want to go and spend more time down there. It was, um, it was so unique to any place I've, I've ever been. Just very mysterious and seductive and very haunting, definitely. You know, I mean, the veil between the, the living and the dead was extremely thin down there. You talk about uh, spectrophilia. Now, for the audience, explain what that is. So spectrophilia is becoming turned on by the idea of ghosts or spirits or spaces that are haunted or objects that might be haunted or, yeah, I mean, haunted is kind of a, a strange word, but like that contains spirits because spirits are really just energy. And I think it's one of the reasons that, I don't know, if you if you kind of key into vintage stores or antiques, those objects carry with them a certain energy from their previous homes and owners. And I, I, I feel like some people become very turned on by that. So I think there's a, quite a range of spectrophilia. You also meet um, uh, sex witches, uh, and they talk about sex magic. Had you known about that before going to New Orleans? Yes, I, I do engage in sex magic. That's definitely something that's within my canon of enjoyment. I'm a witchy woman myself and uh, definitely enjoy some sex magic. But um, again, everyone is different as far as what exactly that means to them. One of the sex witches that we talked to, Gypsy San Diego, specifically was an herbalist, like a green witch that knows a lot about herbs. So Gypsy introduced us to a lot of herbal aphrodisiacs that we smoke together during the show and talk about how different herbs affect our sexuality and how we're feeling and our being erotic in our bodies and feeling turned on. So that was totally new for me. It was an incredible experience, both the effect of the herbs and the entire ritual. It was a lovely and very erotic ritual. Where did you get the name or title Queen of Kink? And what did you do to <laughs> deserve such a moniker? I, I believe it was it was uh, a newspaper that had dubbed me the, the Queen of Kink probably back in 2009 or something. So I've been the queen, a reigning queen for quite a while. <laughs> it's mostly that I have been living a very active and out 
and well-documented kink life for the mm-hmm. last two decades. So I, I think that that is where that title came from. I interviewed John Waters several years ago, and he has the title of the Pope of Puke. <laughs> that, yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. I, I like that. It's great. How did you get involved in pornography? I first got into erotic film and porn like uh, in, in 2002, so 18 years ago. My first feature film that I did was for Good Vibrations with my girlfriend at the time, and it was called G Marks the Spot. It was released on VHS, so that shows you how long ago that was, and it, as well as DVD, of course. But this is before everything moved online. I started delving into porn originally to support my nonprofit feminist art gallery that promoted women and transgender artists in San Francisco that I ran for about 12 years. That's how I got into it. And then uh, I quickly discovered that porn was a very powerful medium. It was the only medium in which I saw graphically documented our sexual culture. Of course, some of this is coming from more mainstream depictions were sometimes based on a fantasy that people feel that the customer wants to see. But what I was really interested in was the narratives that we could create. We could create these narratives that showed communication and negotiation and that held space for people to express their authentic sexual desires in front of the camera. And then what is that impact that that has on the audience when we do that? So I was specifically interested in doing this from, again, a a feminist and queer and submissive POV from my point of view, from my lens. And so I've, I've directed over 60 films over the last 15 years that I've been directing. I was reading that um, there was also fallout for you because uh, you were open about what you were doing. Tell me about some of those things that, uh, what was some of the fallout of, uh, of being involved in adult films? Porn in general experiences a lot of hate and shame. It's easy for the general public to shame sex workers and folks in porn because so much sexual shame exists. And folks don't usually grow up with safe space in order to talk about their sexuality and their desires. And so that internalized sexual shame gets shoved onto the people who are (laughs) putting themselves out there. I mean, and that's the whole reason that I do the work that I do is to create safe space for us to have these conversations about sexuality, to smash sexual stigma, and to create representation in the media. I have no desire to do work that does not create significant social impact. When did you I mean, you have that now, but did you always have that? And when did you finally step into that power Wonder Woman that you are? I do feel like I've always had this superwoman defiant quality of seeing injustice and speaking up. I'm a very loud and truthful person. And if I see something that is broken or that a resource that needs to be made, 
then I innovated, you know, and it was like that going into pornography. I was like, this is, this is cool. And I'm enjoying this. But this is missing. We could really innovate this. Let's push this further. Let's tell our own stories. And I did the same thing with my my feminist art gallery. I was I was 20 years old, couch surfing. I had basically no housing and decided to start a nonprofit art gallery with zero money and just a hell of a business plan. I've always been really good at having a strong, strong dream that I'm able to communicate to other people and talk about it as if it already exists and show the desire and need for it and then get people involved. I became really good at daydreaming really early on because I I grew up in Southern Ohio and I, I knew at a young age I was queer I didn't see myself reflected at all. It was very sex negative environment, very religious environment. So basically everything around me told me you're broken, to stay safe you must remain quiet. I was made fun of a lot, I was bullied a lot. And so I would daydream. I would stare out the window and I would envision the life that I live now. You know, I was a a very dorky girl with big, long bangs and braces and acne and not living my my optimal life. And I, I just would stare out the window and I would imagine a safe space. I would imagine a life where I was surrounded by other folks that were kinky and queer. I imagined a community I feel like my survival depended on believing that I could manifest a different world into being. You have to believe in your project enough to know that there's not another alternative. My purpose in creating this show, in creating my books, my one-woman show, all of those big projects, I'm always thinking about the girl that's left back in Ohio. I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking about how she doesn't see herself reflected in the world and what that isolation feels like and how you don't want to exist anymore. I'm thinking about how critically important it is to put this representation out there and to see yourself in the world. And when I think about that, there is no other choice than to go forward and to manifest that into being. Creating your vision, your purpose, and believing in it with all your heart is critical in manifesting any big project, whether it's a film or a theater piece or a book into existence. Madison Young has traveled around the world speaking at universities and conferences on the topic of feminism and sexuality. Here she recalls an interesting experience she had at one university. The first university that I spoke at was at Yale. and That just, uh, sound, that just sounds cool to have on your resume. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I spoke at Yale. Yeah, I mean, that was over 10 years ago now that I um, spoke. I guess that was like 13 years, probably 2007, I think, 2007 or 2008 that I started speaking at different universities. 
But before then, I had done a great deal of workshops at uh, different BDSM conferences, mostly at BDSM conferences. I was very familiar with doing workshops, and they had asked me to do a couple of workshops, and then I was on a panel as well that, that they were hosting. And so I conducted the workshop in the same way that I would at a BDSM conference. And uh, one of them was a like a BDSM 101 kind of thing. And I, I took off my shirt <laughs> and, I, and I was putting clothespins and, and showing them how to do a zipper, um, which is like when you put clothespins on a piece of rope and then you pull the rope. And I invited one of the students up to like pull the rope on the zipper. And uh, someone was recently tweeting actually about about that experience for them um, because they were one of those students. But there was like a republic. I forget what it what paper it was, but there was like a Republican paper that was covering the workshop, and they just like <laughs> they they had a field day with the fact that someone was teaching topless at at Yale. And I do remember at at Northwestern University years later when I had been asked to to speak there, which I was just speaking there, not doing a workshop, just speaking. And they had me sign an agreement saying that I would keep my clothes on, which I thought was <laughs> slightly offensive and and somewhat understandable considering the. But I had I had spoken at many colleges between the, the two universities. Tell me about your one-person show, Reveal All, Fear Nothing. It's a great title. Thank you. Yeah, it's a personal motto of mine. So, See, I'm, I, 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 I do this. I won't tell you a thing, and I fear everything. So um, <laughs> perhaps I need to go and see your show. Reveal All, Fear Nothing is a, a one-woman show that I wrote with Annie Sprinkle. And it's uh, a, an adaptation of her one-woman show that she did, Post-Porn Modernist. It became a bit of a mantra and a, a motto for me very, very early on in my career. And I started saying it out loud, you know, and people were like, I love that. Like, that, that's really, and I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I have to just keep on, a, you know, keep that as an affirmation. And I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't experience fear. All of us have fears, but it's moving through them. And f for me, um, you know, when I when I started working and even coming out as queer and kinky and and working in porn and erotic film, I knew that I always wanted to be open about it because I didn't want that experience of the all of the work that I'm doing, everything, my entire life has been de dedicated to smashing sexual stigma and shame. So if I live in the closet with my family or with anyone, if I'm hiding who I am, then that's only reinforcing the idea of shame. And I know for many people, um, we we all have um, a different degree of of privilege that we live with. Um, it's safer in some cities or some areas to be out, and I I completely recognize that. And I I know for me though, in the work that I've 
chosen, although it's sometimes been a difficult choice, living in fear of being found out and then shamed for who I am was not an option. Just a reminder, you can watch Submission Possible streaming now on Reverie.tv. Until next time, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you center stage. Center stage, center stage, center, center, center stage. Center stage. Hello, this is Homer Simpson. Whenever I want to know what's going on in the entertainment world, I listen to Center Stage with Mark Gordon. <laughs>